Okay, guys. Well, today we're going to be working through Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 is our text for today. Uh, we finished up chapter 4 last week. <clears throat> In Galatians chapter 5, as we'll see, um, is really broken up for us into really two clean uh, sections. Um, as we'll see, uh, re- let's read verse 5, 1 together. It says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And so I, I read that just by way of introduction um, to the first section. What we're going to see in both of our sections today is that um, the Apostle Paul is going to be reminding the churches of the freedom that Christ has bought for us. Um, the freedom that Christ has purchased for us in his redemption on the cross. And he's going to be warning the churches of a couple of errors of falling away from this freedom and misunderstanding this freedom and abusing the freedom that we have in Christ. And here we saw in 5.1 the first um, topic that the Apostle Paul is going to speak about is falling back into legalism, is, is being free, having been set free in Christ and falling back into legalism and the bondage um, that comes with legalism. That's what the first section is going to be about. And if you just want to drop down, we'll, we'll just look at the introductory verse for the next section in verse 13. There Paul almost repeats um, the phrase, he says, For you were called to freedom, brethren, reminding them again of the freedom that they have. He says this time, Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Okay, so... The second um, distortion of the freedom that we have in Christ, Paul's going to speak of, is, uh, is using it for an opportunity of the flesh, which basically means um, the misunderstanding of the gospel to one thinks that they're uh, free from the law in the sense that they're able to sin, that there's no um, law remaining for the Christian. There's no moral imperatives um, that one is so free um, from the law that we can do whatever we want, including sin. And so that's going to be the second, the second topic that we look at here in chapter 5. Um, but if you want to return, let's, let's go back to, to where it begins in chapter 5, verse 1. And, and I think that this verse here is, is helpful um, because we don't, we don't really have time to review the previous stuff that we looked at, which I, I normally like to do. But this is a helpful summary statement in uh, 5, verse 1, what Paul says. It was for freedom that Christ set us free, right? That's everything that Paul's been teaching so far is this freedom that Christ purchased for us, the freedom from the law, right? So he says, therefore, keep standing firm, keep standing firm in this freedom and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And now, uh, we've looked at this freedom many times. Like I said, this is a good summary verse. We've looked at the freedom that Christ has purchased for us uh, several times in the book of Galatians. Um, if you want to, if you think back or look back to Galatians 3.10, we saw uh, another aspect of uh, how it was that Christ set us free. In, three ver- in, in chapter 3, verse 10, Paul explained that Christ, uh, Christ has freed us from the curse of the law. We've been freed from the curse of the law. It says there that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And, and that's one way in which we've been set free. With the law comes a cursing, it comes bondage. Paul describes it as a yoke of slavery here in this verse. Um, to use the law, to be under the law in the sense that you're, you're, you're using the law as your means of gaining righteousness uh, brings with it a curse. 
it brings with it a curse. And, and, and I reference Galatians 3.10 there because Paul quotes the, the law itself to show that um, to come underneath the law, that you must keep it in its entirety, yeah, perfectly. He said, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. And so Christ has set us free um, from the curse of the law in the sense that we are unable to perform all the things written in the book of the law. We're unable. There's a curse that comes with attempting that um, and a bondage that that's really leads to a hopeless situation. Um, but Christ, Christ having kept the law perfectly for us as our substitute, has released us from this bondage. He's, Christ is in his death has taken that, that weight off of our shoulders, that curse that we were under, that inability that we had to keep God's law perfectly, which is what's required. Christ has redeemed us from that. He's taken the, the weight off of our backs. And so in this sense, we're free. We've been free from that weight and that bondage, that, that fearful expectation of judgment that, was, that we knew was going to come because we were not righteous. We were not perfect. Um, we all knew that we were sinners, and uh, we knew that we had broken God's law, and so we were still on a weight. Yes, ma'am? Um, can you, like, give an example, like, for, for example, I know we're free in Christ and what you're just talking about, but, like, mm -hmm. I've heard, does this apply to, like, the mentality of, let's say you're reading a book, mm -hmm. and um, there's some things that are not scriptural or... Um, there's things that are quoted by certain, you know, authors that, you know, are considered, you know, not theologically sound or just anything ungodly, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the Christian said to themselves, well, I'm free in Christ. I can just filter through those things. Right. I guess that would apply to anything in life, whatever you watch, whatever you hear, whatever you read. Yeah. But I've heard that mentality where, well, that's the freedom in Christ as Christians that, you know, we can filter through those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so here, and we're going to touch on that, I think, okay. uh, in the second part with the, with the view of that we're free to sin, right? Um, which, which, of course, we say, no, we're not free to sin. So would you consider um, that? But the example you gave is kind of hard because, I mean, I'm filtering through stuff as I study for this. I mean, I'm reading guys who say all kinds of strange and wrong things, you know, so... Right. As far as your example, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, are you doing it? You're not doing it for pleasure. At that yeah, I'm not doing it for pleasure at that point. Um, so that's why I say that's kind of a sticky example. Okay. But yeah, we're not free to indulge in, in any in any and you know false teaching and using it as an right. excuse. Of course, so we're not free to sin. So if it's a sinful act that, that the person's doing by reading those things, yeah, you're not free <coughs> in any sense in, in that in that manner. But I, I think as we look at the the second. Uh, example that Paul gives of not being free to sin. Well, I think maybe, hopefully that will clarify. Okay. If not, just just bring it back over, uh, bring it back up. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, as far as the, the freedom that we're talking about here, we're talking about uh, of being free from the bondage of the law and the, and the requirement of the law, um, with just the, 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 the impossibility of being able to keep the law perfectly. Um, we've been freed from that because Christ kept the law for us. And so all that weight and that necessity of us to be perfectly righteous in order to get to heaven, Christ took that from us. So we're free, and we're free to love, and we're free to um, serve and keep God's commandments um, with, with thanksgiving, with joy, and with gratitude, not out of this, this harsh necessity, right, that, that people who are under the law have. Um, that's the freedom uh, that it's speaking of. 
So, so we're not free um, to ignore the commands of Scripture. That we're not free to ignore the, the imperatives of the New Testament and even those um, moral commands that carry over from the Old Testament. We're not free from those things. Um, we're just free from any bondage or system of religion that attempts that that requires us to gain our own righteousness. And that's what Paul's speaking of here in verse one, where he says, "Therefore, keep standing firm. Don't go back." and be subject again to a yoke of slavery. That's the warning. Yes, Josh? I, uh, the tendency of the antinomian ideology, mm-hmm. that, that's something that you already got into? Well, we're going to get into it, yeah. That's the second half, and we'll, yeah, we're definitely going to look into that. Um, I just mentioned it there um, as, one, as one error. Um, so Paul's saying, don't return, don't return to a yoke of bondage. Don't think that you need to go back and start keeping the law in order to, to be justified, in order to be saved. Um, don't go back to that rather than according to what Christ has done. And the reason I said verse 1 really summarized the book of Galatians because this is the message of Galatians, to rest in Christ. Don't go back. Right? Don't go back and think that you need to do something to be saved. The message is to rest in Christ. Um, in verse 2, uh, here the Apostle Paul um, is, is just going to clearly state and spell out for the Galatians uh, the damning, the damning result of going back, the, the the damning results of this error of going back to a system of works righteousness. Verse two, he says, "Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you." And so uh, that's why I say Paul lays it on the line here. If you go back to legalism, if you go back to attempting to gain your own righteousness, and if they go back to following the teaching of these Judaizers. Christ will be of no benefit to them. Yes, sir? Uh, would it be safe to say uh, a phraseology such as, you can't do something to earn your salvation, but you can do something to lose it? Uh, well, no, we wouldn't say that you could lose your salvation, right? Um, I guess that's a poor choice of words, but... Um, but your works will only damn you. They, they will only cause you to... Right? Yeah. Your works will keep you from being saved. You know, we all sin, therefore we can never be saved. Okay. You know, uh, yeah. That, that, so I think that's that, what you're saying. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course, our works are what um, damn us. That is what keeps us from being saved is the fact that we're not good enough, that we sin, even though even our good works are not good enough, right? That, that is, our, our works will do nothing but, um, will do nothing but damn us. Um, but what I think is interesting, um, because we talk about our works plural, Look, at, look back at verse 2, because I think this is significant, something significant to see, something significant to understand, is this. How many, how many works of the law, how many um, things, how many works must you add to faith in Christ? How many works must you add to the, to the work of Christ to cause Christ to be of no benefit to you? How many works do you need to trust in, in addition to the work of Christ, to, to forfeit Christ? Just one work, Right? Isn't that, significant? Isn't that amazingly um, significant? That, that's a gospel distinction that I just wanted to emphasize here, that um, if they go back to circumcision as, as, as requiring that to be saved, Christ will be of no benefit to them. Right? So we must uh, guard um, this, this, this doctrine that, that the, rest, the Reformers saw in Scripture, the doctrine of sola fide, the doctrine that we're justified by faith alone. We must guard it. We must understand it. You must be believing. This is the gospel message, is that you're saved by trusting in what Christ has done, not by what you do. 
right? That must be clear in your minds, and, and I hope um, that that's what we're getting as we, that's what, we that, that's what I should be getting across as we, as we study this book, especially is that distinction in the gospel, that you must be fully trusting in Christ's work and not your own. It's that important, because if you err on this, on this truth, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Um, so we don't add anything. We don't add our baptism, right? We don't add any uh, Christian experiences that we have, whether it's speaking in tongues or, or any uh, other gifts that we receive. We don't trust in these things. We don't trust in any amount of evangelism that we do for the Lord, any missionary endeavors, nothing. Nothing that we do are we trusting in, right, as our grounds for our salvation. Amen. But we only look to Christ. We only look to Christ. Yes, sir? Hey, Chris, you know, um, you know, a lot of times, I mean, this, even this week, you know, we were up at UNT, and, um, you know, there was a, a Catholic uh, lady that I was talking to, and, you know, they, they love to talk about how... You know, we condemn Catholicism on faith alone. Mm-hmm. You know, we say, well, they have a different gospel. A lot of times people say, like, that, that sounds really harsh or, or judgmental or just, you know, mm-hmm. nitpicking, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But, you know, a lot of times we forget, you, you mentioned the Protestant Reformation, you mm-hmm. know, that the, the Catholic Church actually condemns anyone for believing what we just said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, faith alone. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's almost like... We're both ways. You know I mean, like, yeah, they condemn them and they condemn us. We do, and they do. Um, yeah, they're, I think they're more explicit than we have been, and that's why I try to emphasize it here. Um, I think the evangelical church is just getting loose on all these gospel distinctives here because the Council of Trent, you know, you can look it up, Canon 9, is very explicit to anathematize anybody who holds to the doctrine of justification by faith alone. The Catholic Church says we are anathema for believing this, which I think is just all that Paul is spelling out here for us. Right? They, they, they condemn us, they anathematize us for believing this. Um, so, yeah, it's unfortunate, but I think it's something, especially dealing with Catholics, that you need to address with them. You know, if, if you have any hopes that if you know a Catholic that you think that they might be saved, this is what they must believe and understand. Right? You, you hope that they're in ignorance, right, and that they just don't get what the Catholic Church believes, which is a possibility. Uh, but this is the gospel distinction that you probably need to, to work with them on and, and, and get them to uh, believe and trust in. Is, is fully in the work of Christ. Um, because to add here in verse 2, even a single work to grace um, is to walk away from Christ's righteousness. You will not get Christ's righteousness. He will not be a benefit to you if you even add a work. And uh, so if you don't get Christ's righteousness, um, you will stand before God in your own righteousness. And you must come up with um, perfect righteousness. Because look at verse 3 um, and the impossibility of this. Uh, he says, and I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. We, we've talked about it already. Galatians 3.10. Um, the law itself says that you're under obligation to keep the whole law if that's what you're using as your means of justification. That you must keep everything written in the book of the law. Um, and you must perform them. So what Paul's saying to these Galatians is if they want to take on circumcision, if they want to add circumcision, um, if they want to, to cut off and sever themselves through this act of circumcision, that they will in fact sever themselves, but it won't just be from a little piece of skin. They're going to sever themselves from Christ himself. That's what Paul's saying. Verse 4, he says, you have been severed from Christ. You've been cut off from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you've fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. 
For in Christ Jesus, there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. I'm sorry, I read that wrong. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. And so here, because Paul is, is making, repeating the point, I'm going to also, he's making a very, very clear and important distinction in these verses right here. Um, it, and the issue is a theological one, because look, verse 6 says, circumcision, uncircumcision, that, that means nothing. Whether you're circumcised, whether you're not circumcised, it's not the act of, of cutting off a little piece of skin. That doesn't mean anything. But I say it's a theological issue because the reason and the motive for one wanting to be circumcised is the issue. And in Galatians, the problem. Um, because look back at verse 4, because this is where Paul clarifies this error. So obviously, in the mind of the Galatian churches, by their, by their, by their receiving circumcision, they were, they were bringing this in as, as a means of their justification. Because that's what Paul says there. He says, you've been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. So the, the, the law-keeping and, and the, the right of circumcision they were using and seeking um, to, to gain their justification. And if you're doing that, you, you are forfeiting uh, the grace of God. And the grace of God, um, to forfeit the grace of God and his work and what he's done through his son is, is just unacceptable to God. God will not accept you with that type of, 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 of thinking and, and with that gospel um, because God has structured his gospel in such a way that he gets all the credit, that he gets all the glory and the praise for what he's done through his son. He will not accept you trusting and, and relying on something else. Um, Amen. And I think verse 5, look, look at verse 5, this verse that, that's sandwiched in between the two I just mentioned. Um, because I know for those of us who love to give God credit, the credit that he deserves in, the, in this uh, reality that God is the one who um, brings salvation himself. It's not of us. Um, I like what verse 5 says. It says, for we through the Spirit by faith are waiting um, for the hope of righteousness. So here we really see the, the work, a work of the Spirit. For through the Spirit of God, by faith. So the working of the Spirit to bring about faith um, is, is something that's taught in Scripture, just like in Ephesians chapter 2. Even our faith is a work of the Spirit of God. Our faith is a gift of God. Even our faith is not of us. The fact that we believe in Jesus Christ and are not trusting in our works is not because we're better than those who don't. Um, all of salvation is attributed to God. And so, uh, yeah, God, God will get the glory for our salvation. And, and I just thought verse 5 is maybe um, one, of this, one aspect of, that Paul mentions there where the Spirit is attributing and working in, in, in to produce faith. Um, because we, do, we have been emphasizing a lot the requirement of man to believe right throughout this whole book. Um, Paul hasn't been getting into a lot of the, the, the distinctions behind that and why it is that we believe, right? He hasn't, like in the book of Romans, where he gets more in-depth into that. So I just thought I'd take an opportunity with that verse just to, to kind of speak on that. Um, so if we go on to verse 7, 8, and 9, apparently um, the Galatians at one time had got this. Apparently the Galatians at one time when Paul was in their midst, they had understood the doctrines of grace. They understood the, the gospel of grace. Um, because Paul says here in verse 7, you were running well. They had gotten it. They were uh, being obedient to the gospel. Paul says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you, and a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. And so there in verse 7, 
Um, the Apostle Paul declares that they had gotten it at one time. When he was with them, he was fully assured that they were running well. Um, but the Apostle Paul follows that up with a question, a question to the, ch- to the churches. Who has hindered you from obeying the truth? Who is it that's, that's uh, been, been propagating a false teaching? And, and as I read this, I can only think in my mind and try to picture um, the, those early churches as, as these letters, the letter of Galatians is being read to the churches. And I can just imagine as Paul's asking questions like this, like almost like what kind of uh, eyes would be looking around or what kind of eye contacts would be made between those who were um, teaching this false uh, doctrine and those who were um, following it and, and hearing it and receiving it. And I can just imagine the tension. I mean, I can't even imagine the book of Galatians getting finished without some type of um, brawl breaking out if, if those false teachers were, were in fact present. Uh, so when I just read it, I try to put myself in, in that room with these believers and just, um, man, it would be a, a tense situation. The Apostle Paul has a lot of um, harsh things to say for, the, for these teaching this false doctrine. Um, so Paul tells them in verse 8 that this false teaching and this, uh, this hindrance from the gospel is not from uh, the God who called them. It's not the God, the God who called them by uh, grace who, who's, who's pushing this false teaching and inspiring it. Um, as we've seen, it's not the God of the scriptures. It's not the God who cast out the bondwoman and her, and her son because the son was produced by the efforts of man. This God is not the one um, pushing this teaching at all. Um, but Paul says that a, live, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. And Paul uses this same phrase in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where there he uses it um, in the context of there being just a, a very uh, a man in the church who was committing just a very um, gross, immoral act of sin. And the Apostle Paul quotes this same truth here. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough, which simply means a little sin in the church uh, will spread, <coughs> will infect everyone in the church. And... Uh, and in the context that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 5, what he's saying is get that immoral man out of your midst. Get that, that unrepentant sinner away. Get him out, get him out of there before his, his, uh, his sin affects the consciences and, and, and calls other people to, to open up to the same sort of sin. And so in this context, I, I think as well that the Apostle Paul's um, calling them to get this false teaching, get these false teachers out of there before it spreads, before their, their false teaching spreads, because just like that immoral sin from 1 Corinthians 5, just, just as that is horrible sin, so is false teaching. So is especially damnable heresy, which is going on here. Um, the Apostle Paul says to remove it out of your midst before it, before it gets worse. Um, so the, the, the Apostle Paul calls the church to this action. Um, because there are true believers in the church that would, that would listen. I think the Apostle Paul here in verse 10 um, shows us this because he's going to reassure the true believers in the church in verse 10 and then at the same time go on just to slam the gavel down on these, these false teachers. But let's read verse 10. Um, Paul says, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. But... The one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. And when Paul says whoever he is, I don't think the Apostle Paul doesn't um, know 
exactly who's propagating the false teaching in the churches. I think he's been all too aware of what exactly the false teaching is, what, even what the motives are behind it. I think he knows who it is. I think he's saying this um, to really emphasize just the uh, just the, the impartiality of God's judgment against the false teaching. Whoever it is, whoever's propagating the false teaching, God's judgment will come upon them. Um, because if you remember all the way back to Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, um, there Paul said, that even if he, even if he or any of his other um, apostles or disciples or an angel of heaven, if any of them, including Paul himself, were to bring a false gospel, there to be anathema, there to be accursed. Right? The apostle Paul is no respecter of persons. Um, even if he himself was to start preaching a false gospel, he knows that he is, is worthy of damnation for that. Um, because the, 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 the glory of God is preeminent, the, the the clarity of the gospel in Paul's mind is of utmost importance. And so he even says, including himself, that um, he would deserve uh, damnation for, for turning from the true gospel and that he would be accursed. Um, any questions, anyone? We're doing all right. Yes, ma'am. Um, I understand what you're saying about the works, that we shouldn't glorify ourselves in anything that mm -hmm. we do. Mm -hmm. The part that I'm confused on that kind of scares me mm -hmm. is... If we don't um, read our Bibles, if we don't go out and witness or do things to show mm -hmm. that God's going to, you know, if I die, God's going to say he didn't know me. Right. So you've got to do some work to get there, but not love yourself to do it. Right. But so, it sort yeah. of makes me feel like it's a little bit like a Catholic faith where I'm qualified to have to work to get there. To right. Be otherwise God's good. No. And that's okay with me. Right. So, no, that, 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 that's a good concern because I think the distinction that has to be made, right, and I've tried to say it like in almost different ways, it's, it's your reason and motivation for your good works, right? That's what will draw the line. Um, if you're doing your good works thinking that that is what's going to help get you in, that's the, that's, the, that's the error that Paul's warning against, right? The, the, the gospel is that you trust in what Christ has done, and as we'll see, and this may, I think this will be a really helpful chapter to work through that, because what we're going to see is when you believe, um, the Spirit of God himself is given to you, and that's going to produce works. So you will work. The works is a, a product of a genuine salvation, right? If you don't see any works, then you can know that you are not saved, and you should fear, right? Uh, but the, the distinction is good works will follow um, these Judaizers were trying to do works of the law. Um, I don't think that like we'd be required to do circumcision or those works of the law, but they wanted to do good things, but their motivation was off. They thought that those things were going to help them, but God only wants to, uh, to be glorified by what he's done. So we trust only in Christ, and we do good works um, not to get into heaven, but as, as, out of gratitude and thanksgiving for, for our salvation that we already have. Right? If you've trusted in Christ, you, you are saved. You are going to heaven. And so you, you want to do works to, to you, you do works out of just obedience and thanksgiving, right? But not to, not to get in. So we all have to, um, we all do a lot of things for the Lord, and we always have to check our motivations um, to make sure that we're doing them with the proper uh, motivation so that we don't err in that way. Does that, does that help any? Oh, I, um, I think so. I, okay. I, I've been concerned the last few weeks. But my, uh, <laughs> I, I don't go out and do the witnessing, uh -huh. but I do help people, and yeah. I mean, I do things in my own way, but, mm -hmm. you know, I'm thinking, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, well, trust trust in the Lord and continue to do whatever good works the Lord has given you the ability to do. You know, you're not commanded to go um, with Wally and me and go yell at people like we do. <laughs> um, right? But but you should want to serve. And that's good that you have the desire to serve the Lord, but just make sure you're trusting fully in Christ and not in what you do. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I think it's a clear, because I, I went through that type of a phase for a while, mm-hmm. and I think it's a matter of, do you want to serve, or do you feel like you have to serve? Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of, do you have to, to earn, or do you want to because you've received it? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's as simple as that. Yeah. It's, it's, do you have this yearning in your heart just because for your salvation that you want to glorify Him and, and just throw everything at his feet and say, I am here to serve you and your people, mm-hmm. as opposed to, I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to do this. Yeah, 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 that's I, good. Again, let's think, Josh, go. I think a, a good clarifying situation for that is John 15. Mm-hmm. If you really do what the scripture says to do in the Psalms, Psalm 37, I believe it is, uh, to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he'll put in you certain things that will cause the fruit of the Spirit to be manifest through the gift that he's given you, whether it's service or helps or, you know, uh, gift of mercy or gift of whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. I think a lot, of, a lot of what we do, because we are more theologically minded, mm-hmm. I think sometimes we get into compartmentalizing what it means to be spiritual. Mm-hmm. And I think... I think God looks at us through the eye of Christ, through the lens of Christ, and everything. And yeah, mm-hmm. we're we're sinners, and yeah, we all have different gifts. We're not always going to walk in those gifts. Mm-hmm. But just to, to like make it easy, like just let His Word abide in you. Let it let it flow in you richly. Mm-hmm. Let the Spirit, you know, re- ask God to keep you filled with the Spirit, mm-hmm. and the the fruits will come. I mean, because it's too easy we can beat ourselves up over stuff. But yeah, at the same time, we ought to be introspective to a sense where. Um, we understand making sure that we're in the faith, you know, but we're not we're not going to be there condemning ourselves because the devil does that enough. We, yeah. don't, we don't need another set of... And, and we won't do enough. Yeah. Yes, sir. No, I was just thinking of a simple, almost childlike analogy is I wear a wedding ring because I'm married. Mm-hmm. I don't wear a ring to get married. Yeah. And if I take it off, it doesn't cause my marriage to cease. Right. And so it's a sign to other people I've been identified, unified with yeah. someone else. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, I think pretty much everybody would realize you don't wear a ring to get married. I yeah. promise ring, I don't know. Yeah. You do it to show your, show your marriage, you know, to, to show the distinction that you yeah. have been married. Yeah, and yeah. As soon as people see it, oh, you've been. Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah, which is the same, same reason we do our good works, it's to show that we've been because saved. We're, because we've been not saved. For it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, let, let's move on if we can. Is that, is that okay? Move on. Um, let's look at verse 11 real quickly um, because I think um, on the face of it, it, it seems kind of awkward, um, verse 11, uh, but I think we can get the, the meaning of it because as I studied it, it really seems like there was a consensus, consensus, on, consensus on what was going on here. So just let me read it real quick. It says, But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Um, so I, I guess to me what, what comes off as being kind of awkward there is um, why is Paul saying if he still preaches circumcision as if he, as if he did? Why is Paul having to defend himself? Um, 
as if he's still preaching circumcision. And I think what, what, what must be happening here is the, the, the false teachers in the churches, these, these people who are trying to turn the churches away from the Apostle Paul's teaching, they must be bringing this up um, as an accusation against the Apostle Paul. Um, because we have mentioned already, and I'll just remind you that if you can think back to like Acts 16 is an instance of this that they might have been grabbing onto. Um, remember the Apostle Paul had Timothy, his disciple, circumcised, right? And so the Apostle Paul's teaching all this, no need for circumcision. You don't have to get circumcised, but yet he had Timothy circumcised. Um, and we talked about the reason for that, so that um, Timothy would not be a stumbling block to the Jews, um, so that he can move amongst them and minister to them and preach the gospel to them, not stumble them, not for his salvation at all, just to, to make it easier um, to become all things to all people and preach the gospel. Uh, but, but that's just an example of the Apostle Paul still going on and circumcising someone. And I think the, the Judaizers would have um, used this as an accusation, um, accusing Paul maybe of an inconsistent teaching on, on this, on this uh, rite of circumcision. And they would have been trying to confuse or or uh, just turn, the, turn the, the, the churches away from the teaching of Paul maybe on this subject here. But Paul answers the accusation, if I really am still preaching circumcision, why is it that I'm being persecuted then? Does that make any sense that I'm still being persecuted? If I'm teaching the same thing that they're teaching, that circumcision is necessary, why are they persecuting me then? Right? It doesn't follow. The Apostle Paul says, no, they're persecuting me because I'm preaching Christ alone. And, and it's a stumbling block to those who are, uh, are following a works righteous system of, of the Mosaic law keeping. Um, the stumbling block is Christ and, and, and to trust in him alone. The Jews stumble over that. They stumble over trusting in the Messiah alone and not their works of the Mosaic law. Right? I think that's what Paul is, is, is saying there. Um, and so his preaching of the cross and it alone um, <coughs> is remaining a stumbling block. It's remaining a stumbling block to those who, who don't believe that, um, primarily the Jews, and so he's being persecuted by them. Um, so his teaching is clear. He's not preaching circumcision. Um, so with this kind of thing go going on, with, with the slander against Paul and his teaching going on, with Paul being persecuted, with false teachers arising in his churches that he planted, um, the Apostle Paul at this point has worked up to just a very, he's going to have a very righteous indignation here in verse 12. Um, because he makes a very explicit statement concerning the false teachers in his churches. Verse 12, he says this. He says, I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves, the Apostle Paul. He's speaking to these, uh, about these teachers. He says, I wish that these false teachers who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. And if there's any question here on what Paul's talking about, he's talking about these um, who are advocating this taking on of circumcision, that's who he's speaking about. And he says that these people who are, who are trying to add this little, this little snip in circumcision, he says, I, I wish that they would uh, fully emasculate themselves because of their false teaching. And so the reason I say that, um, that seems kind of extreme, right? The last time I heard this uh, passage preached at, at a church that I grew up in, this verse was completely skipped. Uh, but I don't think we have to be afraid of this verse because it's righteous indignation. Because we must remember that. It was the sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, who taught um, Matthew 18, verse 6. I'll just read it to us. He said, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have 
a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. That's the place for damnable heresy in the eyes of God. There's nothing sweet about um, teaching damnable heresy to God. And so these, these are strong words from the Apostle Paul, but those who teach false um, doctrine and damnable heresy, they're anathema. They're under the curse of God. That, that's the reality of it. Paul calls us to agree with that, um, as we saw in the first chapter. Um, but here with this statement, I think the Apostle Paul kind of, he ends the section there um, dealing with legalism. He's warning the churches, you've been set free by the work of Christ. Do not go back and follow these false teachings and, and fall back into this legalism, right? Um, let's go on. I don't think there's any possible way we're going to get through the rest of this, but we'll try. Um, I'll try to do as, be as best as I can without losing the, the means of it. Um, but what we're going to see now is we have the straight and narrow, the straight and narrow highway to heaven. Um, and, and Paul here is, is giving two examples of the two ditches on both sides. One's legalism. You fall off into legalism, you're falling off the straight and narrow. The other side is equally deep and deadly ditch is to fall into antinomianism. It's to think that because you've been set free from the law that you don't have to keep any sort of um, law or commandment of God. That you're free from doing, you can do whatever you want, including sin. And so the Apostle Paul is going to explain this to us. Let's read together uh, chapter 5, verse 13. In 14, he says, For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so the first thing to look at is, again, Paul re repeats this truth, that you are free. Christ has set you free, but he says, don't use this freedom as an opportunity to do whatever you want. Don't think that because you're free that you can go on to sin. You're not free to sin. Um, so the first thing that established is, what does Paul mean here by, by turning our, our, our freedom into an opportunity for the flesh? I, I think I kind of gave it away, but when he speaks in this sense, he's speaking of uh, this tendency for us as Christians to, to fall into sin, to be tempted to sin for this the, remaining, uh, the remains of our connection to Adam that are still in us from, from the result of the fall, uh, right? Our, our bodies have not been glorified. We've not been resurrected yet. We've not been perfected. We still have um, these effects from the fall. And so Paul's saying, even though you're free, don't think that you can um, use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, as an opportunity to return to a sinful lifestyle and think that because you're free, God's not going to hold you accountable. That would be a sign of somebody who's not been saved. Um, so just as I, I had Romans 6 here as, a, as a, almost a parallel text, because there we see um, another aspect of this freedom that we have. And, and Romans 6 speaks of this freedom that we have not to sin. We've died with Christ. We've, re we've been resurrected and, and risen to a new life in Christ. We're new, creature, we're new creatures in Christ, and we've been given the Holy Spirit, and we have a new ability not to sin that we did not have before. We have all kinds of freedom, and we have a freedom now not to sin as we're before in our flesh. When we were fully given over to the flesh, we had no ability to do what pleases God. We had no ability to obey God. We were completely given over to the flesh. The absence of the Holy Spirit left us with just an inability to keep God's law. Um, but now that we have the Spirit of God, 
we have a, a new freedom, a new ability to obey um, where we didn't before. Um, so, so look back at these verses here that we just read, because um, I wanted to point something out here because um, it, it could almost seem like there's a there's a um, an, an, an angle of, of maybe contradiction between everything Paul's been saying up to this point about the law and then to come to this point and talk about keeping the law in its entirety by loving and fulfilling the law in its entirety by loving after everything he said about the law. Um, this may seem awkward or kind of contradictory, but it's not contradictory for, for several reasons. First of all, and I think most importantly, we've talked about several times today already, but um, the law is, is holy, righteous, and good. It's good to obey the law of God, as long as you're not doing it to be justified. <coughs> if you're doing it to, to aid in your, in your justification, that is not good. But as long as, and I think what this verse is talking about, as long as you're loving God by, by loving those made in his image, you are keeping the law, you're fulfilling the, the purpose of the law and in, in how um, it, 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 it uh, correlates with God's nature and that you're, you're fulfilling the law. You're not doing it for your justification. You're doing it in full reliance um, upon the Spirit of God. You're doing it out of gratitude for your salvation. And in this sense, you're actually able to keep the law and fulfill the law. The second reason I have why this, I don't think this is contradictory, is look at Christ. Jesus Christ kept the law in its, in, in its entirety. The Bible says that Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, even the ceremonial aspects of the law. Jesus Christ kept the law. And so doesn't it seem natural that if Jesus Christ by his spirit is in us, that we are also going to start to honor God's law and keep God's law and do it in such a way that it's not dishonoring to God and, and opposing to the gospel, but we're going to do it in a way that, that honors God and, and that is, is actually righteous. Um, so this, this command to love is a love that is, is based and flows out of our salvation. It's not a love that we, that we that, it's not a law that we start to keep in order to gain salvation. This is a love that, as we'll see, flows out of salvation. Um, Paul goes on to say, verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So in short, what we have here is the Christian life, the battle of the Christian life. The flesh that remains on the one hand versus the spirit of God that's in you. This is a, this is a Christian battle. It's an ongoing battle. Um, we've, been, we've, been yet to make, uh, we've been yet to be made perfectly Christ-like, perfectly sanctified. The, 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 the sins of the flesh remain, and so it's that versus the spirit of God who dwells inside of us. But, but look, I intentionally call it the battle of the Christian life because it's not the war. The war of the Christian life was decidedly ended on the cross when Jesus Christ said, it is finished. Amen. Right? The, the war is over. The war's, been, the war's been settled, but these, these lingering battles remain until we've been redeemed and resurrected. Yes, sir? Uh, you know, Chris, I, I take the position that um, Romans chapter 7 mm -hmm. is a parallel passage to this right here. Yeah. And I know that like right now there's a lot of people that are abandoning what is, has been known as the, the traditional view. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the view of 
all the reformers, you know, John Murray, Spurgeon, mm -hmm. going all the way back to the Puritans and Calvin, you know, uh, but Romans chapter 7, I, I guess I bring it up because I recently, you know, I went to a conference where this, um, <coughs> this, this, that, that, this, this parallel to Romans 7 is not made, mm -hmm. you know, and I just kind of can see the, I guess the, the rudiment of it, you know, almost taking away Romans 7 from our Christian sanctification, and mm -hmm. I think that could be very deadly, you know, to our sanctification that, you know, we can't look to Romans 7 anymore mm -hmm. as to identify the struggle that Paul's talking about there, which is, even if you take away Romans 7, that's why I say this passage is so closely parallel. Mm -hmm. This is one of the reasons why they called Galatians the mini-Romans, you know, mm -hmm. because it does encapsulate in two verses what Romans 7 says in, you know, whatever, 20 verses or whatever. Right. I just think it's so important, you know, I mean, I wish that uh, everyone in our church would, would take my view. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. you know, obviously there's Christian liberty there to disagree, but I I'm just saying Romans 7 mm -hmm. so clearly talking about the same reality, you know. Yeah. Flesh and spirit warring against each other. Exactly what he says in, in Galatians here that you read, you know, that you don't do the things you want. Mm -hmm. You know, which is exactly 